Welcome back to The Daily Poem, a podcast from Goldberry Studios. I'm Sean Johnson, and today is Tuesday, October 3rd, 2023. Today's poem is by Robert Frost, and it's called The Road Not Taken. I'll read it once, then offer a few comments and read it one more time. The Road Not Taken. Two roads diverged in the yellow wood, and sorry I could not travel both and be one traveler. Long I stood and looked down one as far as I could to where it bent in the undergrowth, then took the other, as just as fair, and having perhaps the better claim, because it was grassy and wanted wear, though as for that the passing there had warned them really about the same, and both that morning equally lay in leaves no step had trodden black. Oh, I kept the first for another day. Yet knowing how way leads on to way, I doubted if I should ever come back. I shall be telling this with a sigh, somewhere ages and ages hence. Two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. It is the beginning of fall. It's early October, at least. Uh, if you live anywhere near me in northwest Florida, it doesn't feel like fall just yet. Uh, but the calendar doesn't lie. We are in the fall months. Uh, so perfect time to read this poem about uh, yellow woods. Most Robert Frost poems make it feel like fall or winter. Uh and it's the perfect time of year to ruin some people's favorite poem. <laughs> uh, if this, if you love this poem, and I uh, steal any of your joy today, I hope that I can replace it with an, a deeper joy, a greater joy, because I think that this is one of the uh, most misread poems. As far as popular poems go, I'm sure there are less popular and more difficult poems that are misread all the time. I'm sure I misread plenty of poems. But this is a one of the more famous poems that I think is uh, chronically misread. And the normal misreading of this poem, uh, usually, uh, it's usually a high school kind of misre <laughs> misreading of this poem, uh, some kind of dead poet society situation where this poem is offered up or it ends up being uh, grabbed onto as a kind of uh, inspirational exhortation to uh, go your own way and forge your own path. And I don't think that's what is going on here. So let me try and make my case really quickly, because I do think this is a great poem. I think it's a better poem than we usually give it credit for uh, when we misread it. The speaker comes to a fork in the road. Two roads diverged in a yellow wood. And then the speaker, realizing that to remain a singular person, you can't go down both paths. He has to choose. 
How does he choose? Well, he looks down both, but uh, they sort of turn so you can't actually see too far down the road uh, in either direction. Then he pays attention to uh, the wear on each road. I looked down one as far as I could to where it bent in the undergrowth, then took the other as just as fair. So at first, the speaker agrees that the two paths are equally desirable. Then he says maybe the path that he took had the better claim because it was grassy and it wanted wear. Uh, it had not been traveled on as often. Though, he admits in the same sentence, as for that, the passing there had warned them really about the same. So the path he chose wanted wear, but in fact, the other path also wanted wear because they had been warned about the same. And both that morning equally lay in leaves. No step had trodden black. So no one had walked down either path recently. Oh, I kept the first for another day. Yet knowing how way leads on to way, I doubted if I should ever come back. Now we start to get into the real psychology of what's going on here. Life is about making principled decisions. Sometimes you are faced with a very weighty choice uh, to do good rather than evil or to be brave rather than cowardly. But it's also a mistake to think that life is only made up of those kinds of decisions. Life is also made up of, I would argue, more opportunities to make decisions that may seem arbitrary. Uh, you have to decide based upon wisdom rather than principle. And sometimes even then it's difficult to bring wisdom to bear because you might be choosing between two equal goods. In the Paradiso, Dante brings up the uh, the old thought experiment. Well, it's, if Dante's talking about it, it must be old, but it was old even in his day. The thought experiment of a a donkey placed in the middle of two piles of hay that are equidistant apart and pondering which pile the donkey will choose or will he choose neither will he starve to death paralyzed by the inability to choose one over the other to prefer one over the other because he can't discern which is better uh, Dante sort of laughs off the whole question and says uh, it might be impossible to predict which one he will choose, but he will definitely choose because he'll get hungry. Uh, I think Frost presents us with something similar. In fact, the two paths uh, even share the same color palette as Dante's stacks of hay. Right? They're uh, yellow hay, yellow wood. And the choice ends up being an arbitrary one. That's not to say a meaningless one, but in the moment of the decision, 
one cannot look down the road and see what the choice will lead to. So he simply has to choose. And the poem becomes about halfway through or three quarters of the way through about looking back and reading significance into those choices. He says to himself at the beginning of the last stanza, I shall be telling this with a sigh somewhere ages and ages hence. Two roads diverged in a wood, and I I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. But if you still have the poem in front of you, <laughs> I can't believe people fall for this. If you still have the poem in front of you, you can look right back to the beginning of the poem and see that he has revised the story. In fact, he's reflecting in a middle moment about this earlier experience, having to choose between two roads and making an arbitrary choice because they were essentially equal. And he tells himself, well, maybe I'll come back and try the other one another day. But uh, rarely does that happen, and he admits that as well, knowing how way leads on to way. Imagine if you were trying to decide between two, two women to propose to. Uh, you couldn't actually, <laughs> unless you were a terrible person, I guess, uh, you couldn't realistically say to yourself, oh, I'll save, that, I'll save that one as an option for another day. No, you know that uh, you know that this this choice is a commitment you can't come back from. Uh, G.K. Chesterton talks about uh, the choice of one woman being the choice or being the rejection of all other women, and you could apply that to uh, other scenarios as well. Uh, the choice of a vocation, uh, the choice to reside in one country over another, may lead you down a path that you can't can't backtrack from. So he knows. He admits to himself, I'll probably never be back here again. This is the one I'm going to have to be content with. So from that middle moment, he looks back on the choice, and then he looks ahead to how he will think about the choice in the future. And he predicts that he will add, he will lend significance to the choice that he cannot see or grasp in the moment. Whereas the poem began with the honest description of the two equal woods or the two equal roads that diverged, the poem ends with him predicting that he will one day talk about the roads as not being equal, but of one being truly less traveled by, and that that has made all the difference. And I think this is where the fascinating crux of the poem lies, because he's imagining himself uh, believing, convincing himself, maybe telling other people that he was more of, a, of an independent spirit. Uh, more of a, a trailblazer than he really than he really was. That he went 
where he went because fewer people had gone that way uh, when all we have to do is look back at the middle of the poem to see that that's not the case. But he will offer it up to others and to himself as this sort of explanation for how his life has come to be what it is, that that choice, which he will reinterpret later in life as a principled choice, has made all the difference. And the fascinating question is why? Uh, why Frost puts that into the speaker's mouth and into the speaker's mind? Is it a kind of insecurity? Do we uh, Are we so nervous about seemingly arbitrary choices that we want to infuse them with significance? We want to infuse ourselves with uh, agency? Is it that we can't uh, comprehend the workings of uh, of a God who might shape the course of our lives. And so we want to um, attribute uh, meaningful outcomes to some other kind of intelligent force, namely uh, ourself and our own choice. Hard to say, but I think that question is a really uh, profound and interesting one. And it sure beats uh, this sort of Pinteresty slogany i i was a trailblazer and uh, i went one way while everybody else went the other way and that has really made my life into something special because i think that frost is inviting us to be skeptical of people who give those kinds of accounts of their lives most people interpret it one way i have interpreted it a different way and i think you'll agree that has made all the difference. I kid. But here's the poem one more time. Two roads diverged in a yellow wood. And sorry I could not travel both and be one traveler. Long I stood and looked down one as far as I could to where it bent in the undergrowth. Then took the other as just as fair. And having perhaps the better claim because it was grassy and wanted wear. Though, as for that passing there, had worn them, really, about the same. And both that morning equally lay in leaves no step had trodden black. Oh, I kept the first for another day. Yet, knowing how way leads on to way, I doubted if I should ever come back. I shall be telling this with a sigh somewhere, ages and ages hence, Two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. I have to add as an afternote, one thing I was going to point out about the structure and punctuation of the poem. Stanzas one and two are in a single run-on sentence. And they run directly on into stanza three. Which makes me think that, uh, or which I think supports my reading, that the decision was not agonized over in the moment as much as the poem, or as the, the aged speaker might suggest. Uh, there's no punctuation after undergrowth. There's no, or there's no full stop after undergrowth. Uh, the sentence runs on to the, the, the decision having been made. 
Uh, it's only later that the, the, the moment, the length, the significance of the deliberation, uh, I think, is uh, exaggerated or inflated. Make of it what you will. Fight with me in the comments over on Substack. Uh, I live for this. In the meantime, this has been The Daily Poem. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back tomorrow with another poem for you. To listen to past episodes or to support this show, please visit dailypoempod.substack.com. Tell your friends. If you have teachers, friends, mothers, mailmen uh, who might enjoy The Daily Poem, bring them along next time. On behalf of our whole team at Goldberry Studios, I'm Sean Johnson. Until next time, happy reading.